Greetings, everyone. My name is Drew Daniels, and I am going to walk us through a breakout session that um, is a part of the Move Out Gathering, which is called Keys to Unlocking Your Unique Move Out Strategy. Now, for me, when we come to talking about moving out and going out being the expression of God's heart um, in our personality, in the world, to love people for who they are, um, I had an ex I've had an experience. I've had a growing process, if I'm honest with you. Um, I came from a place where it felt a lot like duty um, to move out. It felt a lot like obligation to move out. It felt like just a serving opportunity. It kind of felt like it was something I was volunteered, but something I wasn't really passionate about. And over the course of time, I began to realize that God had made me in a specific way um, and had put things in my heart. And um, I realized there were things in my hand that I was passionate about. And I think part of the process of getting excited about moving out um, into our workplaces, into um, the relationships in our life um, beyond the walls of the church, I think part of it is really discovering who God has made us to be personally. And so um, this breakout called Keys to Unlocking It, I'm going to be giving us 14 keys. That's right. And I'm calling this uh, BuzzFeed style. Um, you ever been on a website where it says 10 ways to eliminate stress in your life and you won't believe number seven? Well, today a number, numbers one through 14 will hopefully leave you speechless. I'm kidding, of course, because Really, these are 14 different thoughts um, that really are inspiration and vision. Some of them are nuts and bolts. They're practical. They're ideal. Um, or they're just kind of fr or ideas and thoughts that are challenging to um, us to, to give us some motivation and inspiration. So that's my hope today. And so I'm just going to jump right in. And the first point I have, and I'm, I'll just go numbers 1 through 14, but point number one is, is not actually a point. It's a question. And I think a lot of times questions are important because... Questions open and answers close. When someone gives us an answer to a, uh, to a problem that we're having in our life, uh, it puts a cap on it. There's no more curiosity. It's been solved and resolved. Whereas a question opens curiosity. It opens um, interest and intrigue. And maybe God is asking you a question. So here's a question to, um, in, our, in part one of our 14 points. Points one through seven, I'm going to be calling no K-N-O-W, no, meaning discovering what's already in you. So point number one is a question, and it's this. What is the most loving thing that someone could ever do for you? What's the most loving thing that someone could ever do for you? Because the answer to that question may be a part of you discovering what God has put inside of you. I'm not talking about someone writing you love songs. I'm not talking about someone, you know, uh, taking you out to a fancy dinner. Maybe it is, but um, I know for me, I joke about it, and this is a, me more having fun, but one of the most loving things my wife can do is um, prepare lunch for us or something. I, I just, for whatever reason, I melt, and it just warms my heart. I have no expectation of her to do that, but when she does it, it just gives me so much joy and comfort. And in a more serious way, one of the most important things that someone could provide for me is when they choose to engage and listen to my heart, and when they choose to in inquire and ask about how, how I'm doing, what's going on in my life, and that's really meaningful to me. It's someone's paying attention to how I feel and they're taking my feelings and my emotions seriously. And this is a part of me beginning to discover what, who God has created me to be. I love talking to people about what matters to them. Um, you know, it's, it's no good about if I talk to somebody about what matters to me, but to, to really help transform someone's life, I can talk to them about what's important to them and what really matters in their world. And so I realized um, I wanted to do something that would... Um, where, where I could create a space where people could talk about things that matter. And so, in fact, just the past um, over, it's taken me two years to get to this point, but 
um, finally, some of my team and our young adults ministry is beginning to go to Oakland University um, just to create a safe place to talk about things that matter in their world, whether it's stress, whether it's studies, whether it's anxiety, depression. And we wanted to start a conversation over food and just have a, a place for students to process what matters to them. And not what I think should matter to them, but what actually matters to them, um, providing a safe, non-judgmental space to talk. And so here's, that's my question to you. Point number one, what is the most loving thing that someone could do for you? Because maybe when you discover how loved you feel, you're able to provide a very loving service, a very loving resource of something that's in your hand that you possess in your heart that someone else will be grateful for and changed by. Point number two, the kingdom of God is of righteousness, peace, and joy, not obligated volunteerism. The kingdom of God is of righteousness, peace, and joy, not of obligated volunteerism. What do we mean when we say this? I mean that a lot of times when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's a lot of things in Christianity or in our faith that we believe we should just value. And we feel that duty to value something. We feel that duty. But the truth is that the kingdom of God is of righteousness. That when I'm engaged with something I love, I have right standing with God. I feel like I'm operating inside of an, a God-given identity. When I, if, if it's a, a, um, I, I feel peace. I feel a comfort in knowing that I am walking and operating inside of my design. I have joy. I'm excited. I'm invigorated. I become alive because this is truly what God has put on my heart. And so the kingdom of God is more about operating inside of what is going to make you become you and make you feel alive, not something you should feel obligated, not just something you donate your time to and you fill a slot and you, vo you volunteer. Um, all, I mean, all things that God invites us into, I will say, they require some strength. It requires discipline and it's not always joyful. However, to operate inside of our, our identity, we should leave feeling like we are absolutely alive in what God is inviting us into. Point number three. People are not problems to be solved, but equals to be embraced. And so if you're looking to know and discover um, what your, key, the, your unique move-out strategy is, who are the people who you are seeing as equals? Because people are not problems to be solved, but equals to be embraced. Um, uh, I love what Brian from um, Santa Ana, Faces of Santa Ana, he talked about because he said, um, I'm reflecting the image in, of God inside of each of these people who experience homelessness. And it wasn't something that um, he uh, was coming in to rescue or save them, but rather instead it was him seeing them as equals and seeing them how God has treated them. Is that we don't treat people as projects or problems or a means to an end to make us feel better about ourselves. It's that we see them as our equals because they bear the image of Jesus Christ. Um, Peter is one day walking to the, New Test uh, to the temple in the New Testament and as he's walking, a man who's been lame since birth reaches out to him and, and he asks for money. And he thinks he needs money, but Peter responds and says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. And I think we need to have the attitude of Peter. What do we have in our hand? Because many of us, we don't have resources. We don't have silver or gold. We don't have money. But what do we have in our hand that we can give to somebody else? because that can just be just as valuable. And it's interesting in our country of, of America, or if maybe you're listening abroad, but um, at least in the Western world, uh, many times we have, we're rich in our resources, where we have, um, we're rich in money and uh, you know, opportunity and education and health and wealth, 
But here's my question. While those things may give us an advantage in society, do they give us an advantage in our humanity? And the answer is not necessarily. Because we might be rich in resources and health, wealth, and, and education, but someone else who doesn't have access to those things may be rich in relationships. They may be rich in gratitude. So where are we poor? Are we poor in relationships? Are we poor in gratitude? Are we poor in our spirituality? In fact, our short-term trips here at Kensington, we understand that when we uh, go on a short-term trip internationally, we're not going to rescue or save anyone. Instead, we are partnering with them as equals, as image bearers of Jesus, because we understand that who are the real people who are getting transformed? Well, it's usually us. And so what do we have in our hand? And are we treating someone as a project or a problem to be solved instead of an equal to be embraced? Point number four. When it comes to discovering our um, knowing our unique move out strategy, point number four says this. Pain in our past. Pain forces us to become familiar with the nuances of our hurt to connect with the heartache of others. I'll say it again. Pain forces us to become familiar with the nuances of our hurt to connect with the heartache of others. Our strengths in life will always impress people, but our weaknesses is what connects us with people. Something Craig Rochelle says. We need to get pulled by God's gravity of our story. There is pain that has happened. There is a story that has been written. And many times we try to deny the pain that's happened to us. We try to stuff the pain. We try to resist it. But instead, we need to welcome it, and we need to embrace it in our life. And um, I wonder if as you have gone through pain in your story, you will be able to um, explain to other people in nuance what you've experienced. That's what's so interesting about pain, is that it gives us language and depth to be able to describe how it hurts to be hurting in the way that we are hurting. So that when someone else who's earlier in our journey, they experience that similar hurt, we are able to hold up our expertise, our process, the nuances of how we were hurt to connect with other people in their heartache and to give them hope and to provide them joy to say that you are not alone and what you're experiencing, you are not crazy. And so to know maybe what God is putting in your heart, maybe look to your history and you will find out how to write the rest of your story. Point number five, and this is more of a challenging quote I heard it from a pastor, and it's don't take it so literally, but it's very challenging if you do. Um, point number five, and it's a quote, go into your prayer closet and don't come out until he speaks. The world doesn't need you yet. Go into your prayer closet and don't come out until he speaks. The world doesn't need you yet. Meaning this, of course, there's something that, you know, we're going to learn from our human wisdom. There's, there's, there's always great practical things that we learn that we can apply. And so it, it doesn't mean that we can't operate and make decisions based on human wisdom. What I am saying, though, is there is something about God's direction that when he gives it to us, it can accomplish something that in our human wisdom we never could. There's something about what God knows in his infinite, timeless, eternal wisdom that will change worlds with his words. There's something stirring in his heart for us in our life that if we tune into his frequency and we align ourselves with his heart, 
we can experience something from him that will transform us. We can hear his voice or, or have an experience with God that will transform us and give us motivation and a compassion that we never had just with our own human wisdom. That God, I believe, will speak to us through his spirit. And I heard a, a quote that Christine Kane said. She said that gifting will inspire people, that gifting will even move an entire room, but it's anointing that breaks chains. It's the power of God that has that is the ability to transform and set people free. And many times I fear, even as I you know, speak to you today, I fear that I rely a lot on my own talent or natural ability. And am I really engaging with my Heavenly Father to believe in faith that there's something that He can do in His power that will set people free in ways that my gifting never will? And am I tapping into God's resources? Am I tapping into his ways and his knowledge and his spiritual nudges. And I think that's a great revealing to know whether we are, we are really tapping into, tapping into the author who writes a ton of people's stories. Are we tapping into that author who wants to rewrite the ending to our story? And that is part of how we can know our unique move out strategy. Point number six, and this is kind of interesting. It's this, number six, sometimes criticism is the voice of our passion that is misdirected. Sometimes it's our criticism that is the voice of our passion and it's simply misdirected. Meaning, many times if we are critical of something, we direct our passion to be angry or to be judgmental or bitter. Instead, what if that's actually the voice of your passion and excitement over something and it's going towards bitterness and angry and really it needs to be used towards change? The many times the things that we critique the most are the things that we care about the most. So where are you extra judgmental? Where are you extra critical of? Because maybe God's inviting you to be a part of the solution. He's inviting you to be an agent of change in something that you are identifying problems. And the truth is in our culture, everyone's amazing at pointing out problems. In fact, it takes no muscle, IQ, skill. It takes no labor to identify imperfection or to point out problems in the world. However, it takes everything in us to embody change and to genuinely affect long-lasting change and to, to, to engage in a solution. So, so I'd say, if you find yourself criticizing what, criticizing, what is that thing that you are criticizing? And maybe that's God's invitation to, for you to move out and to, to be the change in society and relationships in your workplace. You know, if you're, if you're coming into your workplace and saying, man, people here, they have the worst attitude and that's something you're critical of. Well, maybe for you, that's an opportunity God's inviting you into to be that, that bridge builder and that person of peace. And maybe he's giving you strategy in that. Maybe for you, if you're always criticizing, you know, how um, an organization is being run or a parent association or a, a group or a club, and maybe he's inviting you to step in to provide organization so that um, people can connect in a more freer way and the kingdom of God can be expressed through your love and patience and your generosity and your open-handedness. And, and so what is that thing that you find yourself extra critical of? Point number seven, and this is the, the, uh, the ending of part one um, called No. But point number seven is don't be pushed by guilt, be pulled by a calling. Many times we do what we actually value and not what we're supposed to value. And don't be pushed by guilt and constantly trying to muster up enough inspiration and don't wait for your feelings to drive you and don't just be pushing yourself. No, find what you are obsessed with. Be pulled by an obsession. Be pulled by a calling. Be pulled by a purpose and a reason to wake up every single 
morning. I always joke that many of us work at companies or organizations where you see a list of values and you go, yeah, I don't really know if we value all of those things. And I think we feel that because a lot of times there's things we, we feel like we should value, but we do what we actually value. We do what we value, not what is even defined as something that we should value. And so listen to what you actually value. Watch what you are already doing in your life. What's a part of the rhythms and the, and the interests of your heart? And those maybe are some keys where you have an obsession that you need to get pulled by instead of pushing yourself by guilt. So that's the end of part one of knowing and how to discover your strategy. But let's go to part two, which is go. Eliminating the excuses we all make to going into a move-out strategy. So let's go. Point number eight. Every mission has a trench that will always be exhausting. Every mission has a trench that will always be exhausting. A trench in warfare is invented to um, creep up on enemy lines right where the, the fighting is the most dangerous. And here is where people will get bloody and exhausted and you will get hurt and you are gonna get, rub elbows and be in the trench with somebody else, but it's more effective to win a war that way. Can you imagine being a, a part of an army and you're talking with the generals of battle and you're strategizing and you're saying, you know, we need to come down the, out of the hills in this way to surprise them and we need to have the high ground over here. And as you come to solutions, you look at them and go, great, uh, who are the generals? Who are the, the people on the ground that I can contact? And, and they just look at you and what if they said this? Oh, we don't actually have people who are fighting. We just are really good at strategizing how um, we should win. And what I think happens in the, the church is many times we hide in a bunker and strategize and talk ourselves into how we should be winning. When the truth is, is the kingdom of God is in the trench, on the front lines, talking to people, being in people's lives, and knowing their hurt and pain and walking with them through that process. And we can't just hide in a bunker and talk about it. Instead, we need to be on the front lines. And the truth is, is that being on the front lines of people, you will get bloody. You are going to be holding open wounds of other people. You're going to be experiencing things, and it is going to be exhausting, but there's something absolutely exhilarating. And there is rest. There's always summits of rest. However, if we want to come alive in our purpose, we need to understand that anything that's worth doing will always be costly. Number nine, you are responsible to people, not for people. You are responsible to people, not for people. It's so easy as Jesus followers um, who have if, if we have compassion, if we have empathy, if we have high emotion, um, it's easy to not want to engage in a move out strategy because you're going to get so wrapped up in someone else's world that's going to consume all of your energy emotionally, physically, and mentally. However, we need to understand that it's, it's okay as Jesus followers to have boundaries. It's okay to say, hey, I'm responsible to somebody. And what do I mean when I say that? What I mean is, we are responsible to love someone. We're responsible to be faithful to them. We're responsible to tell them the truth. But I'm not responsible for their actions. I'm not responsible for their emotions. I'm not responsible for the decisions they make in life. 
I am responsible to love them in the best way that I can. I am responsible for what I can control, but they will always be responsible for their decisions and I will never be. And so once we eliminate that excuse and once we see that the, we don't have to bear other people's burdens, but instead we can love, it, love people and be responsible to them and not for them, it's incredibly freeing. Personally, for me, um, I'm a terrible texter. I'm awfully bad at it, and everyone knows this about me um, with the young adults I work with in, my, in our ministry. And I find myself um, kind of laughing because whenever I am with people, people know I'm not texting someone else. Because I realize I'm responsible to people, and when I'm with them, I am going to love them, I'm going to engage with them, I'm going to talk about the things that matter in their life, I'm going to try to be a source of wisdom, encouragement, I'm going to be with them, but I'm not going to be somewhere else. And at the same time, I realize in my life, I have boundaries. I have a life, sometimes my most important ministry is my wife, I'm about to be a dad. Some, I heard Andy Stanley say one time, sometimes your greatest impact in the world isn't something that you do, but it's somebody that you raise. And some of us need to put up some boundaries in our life because we're letting other people dictate our happiness. Instead, we need to be good at loving people and being faithful to them, but not responsible for them and not get caught up emotionally. Point number 10. People would rather follow someone who is real than follow someone who is right. And this is a Craig Groeschel quote, uh, pastor of Life Church. People would rather follow someone who is real than someone who is right. We don't, we don't always have the answers. We're not always going to be correct, and we're not always going to have the most Bible knowledge or Bible information. But what people many times are looking for is someone to connect with them, someone who's going to be vulnerable, who's going to be honest. Um, I heard a psychologist say it's our, our witness is important. And what happens many times in interactions, we try to fix people, we try to give them advice and solve their problem. But what if people wanted us just to be so present and just be with them in the struggle and say, you know what, me too, I, I, I struggled with, you know, you know, understanding how my spouse worked. And, and that statement many times is more connecting. Uh, advice sometimes is disconnecting because now someone, it sometimes can feel like someone's judging us for our problem and they feel like they got to come in and, and save us. But instead, as a leader, as someone who wants to make an impact by moving out, it's important to realize that people would rather follow someone who's real, not someone who has all the answers, not someone who has all the Bible information, and definitely not someone who has all the strategy of how to move out and how to reach people. They would rather follow someone who's authentic and who has a passion from Jesus to change people, even if they're figuring out along the way. Point number 11. And this is something that I struggle with so much, and I think many of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we do. Point number 11. Don't wait to catch a fire. Instead, learn how to make one. Don't wait to catch a fire. Instead, learn how to make one. I think many of us are waiting on someone else to burn so bright that their fire is going to overflow onto us and we're going to catch it. And that's how we're going to go and move out and change the world. But that's not true. We can't be waiting on someone else to burn so bright. Instead, we need to learn to gather kindling, and to create our own fire. In the Old Testament, God, he looked at the Levitical priests and said, I will start the fire if you continue to keep it burning and offer sacrifices. So the priests, they probably had to get up in the morning and go to the woods and chop down logs and drag them back to the camp and chop them up into small pieces and put kindling on the fire and make sure the logs, you know, uh, uh, caught flame. And I'm sure they did the teepee method, not the log cabin or whatever method you prefer. I'm sure they used that one. 
And you know, by the time the fire got going, they had to offer this, the, the sacrifices to God um, on, for, on behalf of the people for their sins. And I think I say all that to say is many times making and sustaining a fire takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes getting up in the early morning. And maybe you're not chopping down trees, but maybe you're flipping pages in the Bible. And maybe you're, you're writing down uh, pages in your journal. And it's, it's, it's hard work because it doesn't reward us so instantly the way that we want it to. But the truth is, is when we develop intimacy with our Heavenly Father over time in a secret history, in a relationship with Him, that will burn a passion in us. That will give us the heart for people. We will be um, know our Heavenly Father. We will know His characteristics, His attributes, and be drawn to love other people. And now moving out isn't so much of something we're pushed to do. We're pulled because we have seen our Father, and we want other people to experience Him, and we want to love people without an agenda. And through our love, people will see our Heavenly Father. Point number 12. Ready for this? You still with me? Here we go. Point number 12. Love is measured in our faithfulness, not in someone's conversion to Christ. Love is measured in our faithfulness to somebody, not in whether or not they gave their life to Jesus or they became a Christian. In the kingdom of God, many times we prematurely rush people to a decision or to raise their hand because it makes maybe us feel good and maybe it can be kind of a pressuring to to make us feel like God's really working. Now, one of the most loving things we can do is invite people to that moment. One of the most loving things we can do is even challenge people to that moment. But we have to check our heart. Is our motivation because we want to see someone make a decision? Or do we want to be faithful to love people in what they need and not what I want them to do? And so when we love people for what they need, you might be surprised that they might be closer to Christ because you're serving them in whatever they need. If you listen to their heart and you walk through their, their divorce or their struggling um, you know, uh, a career in their workplace and you're addressing their needs, they might even be closer to the kingdom of God and, and, and following Jesus because you addressed a deep need instead of rushing them to a decision or rushing them or even feeling like you have an agenda to get them to become a Christian. Is that again, the kingdom of God is of righteousness, peace, and joy. And so when we choose to follow Jesus, love like Jesus, forgive like Jesus, and minister like Jesus to other people, the kingdom of God is being spread whether or not people are converting on the spot. Because here's the thing is that we are a part of someone's story. And we might be moving them closer to the person of Jesus and walking with that person to the kingdom of God. Is that I believe it may even be more important to be establishing relationship with people so that natural organic conversations about Jesus can take place. However, at the same time, when I was in college, we shared our faith and got into spiritual conversations with other college students. And, 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 and it was interesting because we, never got the, we, never, we didn't always get the outcome of people accepting Christ or coming to our ministry. Instead, we realized we were just chucking seeds. And as we chucked seeds, we trusted God with the outcome is that we can till the soil, we can water the soil, but God is responsible for the growth. And it's my responsibility to be faithful. And my success is measured in how well I love someone else for what they need or what God is trying to give to them and how obedient I am to listen to that. So that's point number 12. Point number 13, take what is already organic in your life and add 2% of your organization. Take what is already organic in your life and add 2% organization. Now, what do I mean when I say that? 
organic meaning some of us we we feel like we don't have enough time we don't we can't add another meeting we can't add another group we can't add another initiative we can add another discipline we we, we don't have time when we're driving kids around um, we do not have time in our schedule so what if you looked closely at what has already become an organic rhythm of your life and you applied two percent of your brain power and two percent of your effort in your life to create something that was a little more organized that could be a your move out strategy maybe you have teenagers that are in and out of your house because your sons or daughters are on sports teams and maybe um, that part of your move out strategy beyond the walls of the church is just asking them intentional questions about how they're doing at home and how they're doing at school or maybe if they're interested in their faith if they've ever you know where they're at in their spiritual journey and that's a two percent um, extra intentionality that was something that already existed inside of your life where where are the places that you have to drive to where are the are you in the office an hour early anyways and you know other people are there and maybe you wanted to add a prayer time and, and that's that it's time you're already in the office and you know you want to add something to your schedule and it just takes a little bit of intentionality to have a huge result and so don't maybe try to carve out your life and change your life maybe that's you but if you're struggling to find margin maybe you look at what what is already in your schedule and just add some intentionality to it and finally point number 14 and this one's hard be more afraid of regret than people's perceptions be more afraid of regret than of people's perceptions. If we're really honest with ourselves, you probably already know what you're obsessed and passionate about. And there's probably something you have been dreaming and desiring to do. And you're more afraid of what other people think. And so be more afraid of regret of not doing something God's putting on your heart than to be afraid of what other people might think because at the end of the day you'll never experience what other people think of you you will only experience your experience and in the process what if God was inviting you to a thrilling adventure it's better to live knowing that you moved out or tried or at least attempted to move out than it is to live in Wonderland and asking what if and getting 10 to 20 years down the road and asking man I wasted it did I really do everything I had with my time was God asking me to do this and did I miss out on it when he was inviting me into it and so maybe for you at by the end of this you know exactly what God's asking you to do and instead of listing off all of the barriers maybe you look at the fear of regret right in the face and say I don't want to miss out on this because there's other areas of my life I regret and it's always the things that we don't do that we regret more than the things that we do do and so for you these are 14 ways that you can move out 14 different ideas for you they're not perfect if anything they're really thrown together and I do not expect um, these to be pretty or perfect in any way instead I just hope that they shape your view of how to move out in your life to eliminate the excuses to go and then to know and discover who God has created you to be and what you are passionate about and honestly I challenge you right now to send a text to send an email to maybe write down exactly what you need to do maybe it's emailing that person to, to get the ball rolling and taking that first step of doing your move out strategy collecting information 
you know, maybe for you it's journaling about it. Maybe for you it's even just praying with, with God. And uh, so that's what I want to encourage you to do um, right now. Enjoy.